Noelle, what are you doing? Editing the script to take out all the objectifications of women. Okay, great. So what did you keep? Um, let's see. There's the opening scene with Dr. Gregory and the opening credits. Yep. Sounds about right. Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm film scholar and secret man-eating bug, Noelle LaCroix. <laughs> We're here today to talk about Teacher's Pet, the fourth episode of season one. Teacher's Pet was written by David Greenwalt and directed by Bruce Seth Green. This is the first of eight episodes that will be directed by Bruce Seth Green in the first two seasons. After that, I presume he left because directing a show with Seth Green in it probably just became a bit too confusing. This is the first of six episodes David Greenwalt writes before going on to be a co-showrunner slash creator of the Angel spinoff series, which seems appropriate as Greenwalt is the first writer to actually get Angel right, which he does in this episode. <laughs> I'm looking forward to your thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> um, a warning before we begin, every episode of Still Pretty talks about each episode within the greater context of all of Buffy and as such is fully spoiled. So if you haven't watched the whole thing, you may wanna do that and then come back. All right, let's go on patrol. In Teacher's Pet, Dr. Gregory, the science teacher, goes missing, gets replaced by Miss French, who instantly gets Xander's attention because, well, Xander. Could you help me? Uh... Yes. At the bronze, Xander bumps into Blaine, a jerky jock who does female objectification battle with Xander and loses. Buffy talks with Angel, who gives her his leather jacket and warns her that something dangerous is out there. He's coming. The fort guy. Don't let him corner you. Don't give him a moment's mercy. He'll rip your throat out. When Dr. Gregory is found headless in the school refrigerator, Buffy's on the case in search of suspect number one, the big fork-handed vampire. Except when she finds him, he's coming up on Miss French, and when she turns to look at him, he runs away. So I'm an undead monster that can shave with my hand. How many things am I afraid of? Buffy witnesses Miss French's head doing a 180 and goes into research mode, deciding that she's a giant praying mantis, which has a certain hell-mouthy logic to it. Factoid one, only the praying mantis can rotate its head like that. Factoid two, a pretty whacked out vampire scared to death of her. Factoid three, her fashion sense screamed predator. It's the shoulder pads. Exactly. As Willow and Giles follow up the lead, they discover that Blaine's mother has reported him missing. Meanwhile, Miss French invites Xander to her home, gives him a martini that knocks him out, and locks him up in a cage in the basement where Xander finds Blaine alive and freaked the fuck out. Blaine! Oh God, oh God, are you all right? You gotta get me out of here. You gotta. She, she, she gets you in. Uh, what? She, she. What does she do? Oh God. Buffy, Giles, and Willow discover that Miss French is a she mantis, a shape-shifting bug monster that preys on virgins to fertilize her eggs. Virgins? Well, Xander's not a. a I mean, he's probably the, gonna die. Buffy finds the fork-handed vampire, uses him to track down Miss French's house, 
dusts him, then crashes the party in the basement just as Miss French in she-mantis form is about to get busy with Xander. Using bug spray, recorded bat sonar, and a machete, she ends Miss French, saves Xander and Blaine, and the newly rescued boys completely miss the point. It's so unfair how she only went after virgins. <laughs> what? I mean, here you guys are doing the right thing, the smart thing, when a lot of other boys your age... Flag down on that play, babe. I am not. Well, she, that's the she meant as murder's ever She only preys on the pure. Well, isn't this a perfect ending to a wonderful day? Xander destroys Miss French's eggs and life returns to normal. At the bronze, Buffy bumps into Angel again, who continues to be mysterious. I guess I should thank you for the tip. Pleasure's mine. Of course, it would make things easier if I knew how to get in touch with you. I'll be around. Or who you were. All right. So this week in the male gaze. Right. <laughs> I mean. Let's just hop right let's in. Let's just jump right in because <laughs> we enter this episode zooming out of a girl's screaming mouth. Sure. And I, sure. Okay. Sure. Um, and we figure out pretty quickly that we're in Xander's dream. Right. Obviously, mm-hmm. this is Xander's POV. But oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Right. I mean, we open here with Xander, right? He's fantasizing about gaining Buffy's adoration. But in this, you know, Buffy is still objectified. She is just a symbol for how cool he is. Her role here is to simply adore him. And that's it. That's his whole fantasy. Yeah. And I think Sarah Michelle, Sarah Michelle Gellar does a great job at the swoony Buffy in Xander's dream Buffy. I just I don't know. It's as gross as the whole thing is. I just love her being so cartoony and starry eyed. That that really works for me. She's fantastic. And I have to say that like Sarah Michelle Gellar can sell chemistry with everybody. Like even the very terrible men that she's going to have later, you know, the Parker Abrams, the Mm. Scott Hopes, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, even with them, like there is something she is just able to sell that you know that love and that adoration and that whole thing and and the chemistry like she's one of those people has chemistry with everybody who we're we're going to see that again with james marsters of course as he comes in as spike in season two um but yeah she sarah michelle geller is a fantastic actress and she gets better as the series goes like she gets stronger with every single episode and it is amazing to see what she's capable of doing she's really really incredible um so we have like you know as far as the male gaze goes, right, we have this this very, you know, immature male gaze, Blaine and his buddy at the bar, um, who is a person of color. It's a buddy of color. So mm-hmm. at least we've got that. We've got a little bit of representation. Not much. Not enough. Not enough to give him a name. But, you know, right. it's something at least. Um But they're at the bronze. They're being gross about the girls at school. You know, there's like the Xander. How many times have you scored? You know, I mean, women are literal achievements in this game. And then Xander goes and grabs Buffy and Willow as points to his side to prove 
his manliness, you know? Yeah. And that possession. And of course, Willow completely into it. She immediately puts her arms around Sander, you know, and flirts up all over him, which is kind of cute and sweet on Willow's part. But it's also like, oh, my God. Yeah. You know, he's just, yeah. Yeah. Willow in this episode is really interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. You pointed out, I think it was last time that Willow, Willow loves Xander. Yes. And because Willow loves Xander... And we love Willow. And Willow is objectively just great. Willow is awesome in so many ways. So if Willow loves Xander, Xander must not be that bad. And she knows him. Like, she knows who he really is. You know, I mean, that moment later in the episode when they're like, oh, well, Xander can't be a virgin. He's probably, and then she's like, gonna die. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And I mean, I think that that is an indication that how well she knows him, that she knows she knows the core of Xander underneath all the grossness. And because we trust Willow, you know, there's kind of this transitive power of affection, you know? And so at this point in the series, like I want Xander for Willow because Willow wants Xander, even though I don't want Xander for Willow because Willow's so much better than Xander. Absolutely. Leaving him in the dust. Um, But Xander also is this very, like, it's this very quiet, accepted, he's a teenage boy. And so all of his grossness is kind of explained under this boys will be boys, you know, kind of, kind of blanket excuse. Yeah. Right. It's this blank check for, for men to behave however they want because, you know, boys will be boys and it's cute. Yeah. We're supposed to see it as cute and funny. Yeah, it's this like tee-hee sexism. You know, Xander is yeah. gross and this horndog, you know, teenage boyishness is played for laughs. But yeah. if I make a sexist joke, it's still sexist, even if I'm trying to be funny. Um, right. And maybe especially because I'm trying to be funny. Because when you make something funny, you normalize it. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. but so I feel like the show is going, well, you, the viewers, know we're doing sexism and we mm-hmm. know we're doing sexism. So it's comedy. But what? Right. But right. what you're and producing is still sexism. Exactly. You know, I mean, and the thing is, is that it's it's a sanctioned sexism, yes. right? It's it's accepted. It is it is brought in as like, oh, isn't this cute? Isn't this funny? Isn't this harmless? Mm-hmm. And I think that the presumptions of ownership you Mm -hmm. know, and possessiveness, like the second angel shows up, Mm -hmm. right? Xander's all angry and pissed off. Buffy goes off to talk to Angel. And Xander has this jealousy and possessiveness over Buffy. Like, he doesn't have that right. And on top of it, jealousy is not a sexy thing. Anyway, jealousy, jealousy speaks to possessiveness, you know, Mm -hmm. like, so all of it, is really not good for Xander. And the thing is, like, it's not that we can't have these things because these things are very real in our society and putting them into our fiction. In no way do our fictional characters need to be perfect. They shouldn't be. They should be flawed. The problem is that, that you know, and we're going to be talking about this all the way through. So everybody, you know, get out your bingo cards now. <laughs> get out your <laughs> shot glasses for the drinking game. There you go. Because... 
The problem is when we treat it within the fiction that that we are calling it cute, we're calling it funny, we're calling it harmless, which it is none of those things. Um, you know, then we're kind of saying this is the way it is. And not only that, but this is the way it should be. Isn't it so cute and funny? And it's it's to a certain extent. Yes, we're showing how immature Xander is. We're showing how kind of a jerk he is. And in, on some level, we are saying this is jerky when Blaine and his buddy are, you know, doing doing this objectification, you know, um, shootout with Xander, right? Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be gross. Like, I mean, I think we're supposed to see, um, see Blaine and his friend as being just disgusting, but Xander's not far off from them at all. And yet when Xander does it, it's cute. I'm fascinated by that because I know Mm -hmm. how I feel about Xander, but I'm not sure. It's hard for me to watch the show and figure out how the show wants us to feel about Xander. I mean, we're deep in Xander's POV for most of this episode. Yes. And Mm -hmm. that suggests to me that we're supposed to be with him and we're supposed to be rooting for him, um, even in his all of his grossness. Yeah. And I just find that so interesting and problematic from a, a character development perspective and from an audience relationship perspective. Yeah. So when we have Xander and we kind of put this little stamp of, you know, cute boys will be boys approval on everything that he does, we're supposed to love him. Um, And the thing is that, you know, and I've said this before and I'll say it again, I will admit to it. I love Xander. I can't help it. I do think he's funny. I do think he's cute. I love Nick Brendan's performance, you know? Yes. Um, But the thing is, it's it's light and shadow Xander and shadow Xander is shadowy without the shadow being recognized Mm -hmm. with the shadow being kind of pulled in to, you know, to the approval that we put on the light side of Xander. Although I don't think I don't think we get any light Xander in this episode. He's kind of awful all the way through. He's kind of awful all the way through. The yeah. best that we do is not, I don't think it's Xander, it's um, Willow and Buffy and yeah. their reactions to Xander. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the closest that we have gotten on the show to, I don't want to say punishing, but acknowledging the gross behavior. Right. Um, right. Starting with when uh, Miss French walks up and Xander goes completely preverbal. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And then Buffy and Willow are, they're so empathetic. They're watching him and they're laughing at him, but they're also with him. And I think that's another thing too, though, about Xander is that, you know, part of what it is in any character that helps us connect with them is vulnerability, Mm -hmm. right? And Xander is throughout, I think, I think fair enough, all of Buffy from beginning to end of season seven, (laughs) he is walking vulnerability that everything about him everything that is that is awful and gross is also wrapped up in this he's just a mess Mm -hmm. he's a mess he's always a mess his family is a mess we get we don't get this until like later in the series and it's usually addressed until we get to hell's bells in season six when we actually see his family um at at anya and xander's you know would-be wedding Mm -hmm. 
um, you know, we get these hints that his family life is really terrible, that his parents are really terrible. I mean, not just, you know, like absent the way that like Willow's parents are completely absent, you know? Right. Um, but they're they're actively abusive yeah. to each other and to him, you know? So you get this sense and we don't really get it strongly probably until season four. We get little hints about it, but not a real strong sense of it until season four. But there's all this vulnerability around him with his his need to be, you know, to be better than he is, his need mm-hmm. to be more manly, his need to be, you know, he, he sees all these flaws within himself. And Xander, as much as we loathe Xander, I don't think anybody loathes Xander more than Xander. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and that brings that vulnerability in that makes him you know, somebody that we can connect to emotionally because that's the role of vulnerability in any character. And once you connect with them emotionally, like even when they've got these flaws, you know, you can kind of accept it. That's part of a flawed character. And the flawed characters are the best characters. We need characters with strengths, weaknesses, and vulnerabilities. It's just that Sanders, a lot of those real weaknesses of character are being portrayed, as I've said, as cute rather than seriously, seriously problematic. And we don't see consequence. One of the things I'm going to talk about forever, and again, get out your bingo cards, is <laughs> how Joss Whedon works with consequence. That whenever anybody does anything bad, there is always a severe slap, slap back. There's always consequence, except for Xander. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked, we've talked already about Xander as a self-insertion fantasy for Joss yes. Whedon. And it just... Mm-hmm gives me so much pause. It mm. makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> and knowing what we know now about Joss Whedon as a problematic figure, mm-hmm. you know, um, and the things that he was doing, apparently, you know, allegedly on the set of these shows in which he was the boss, like, you know, it ain't great. You yeah. know, it appears to it appears to all be consensual. You know, um, it was his his wife who added him. None of the women that he was apparently, you know, allegedly involved with during that time. But when you're the boss, like, you know, there's a certain level of consent that can't when you're in a situation where there's such a huge power differential, there's a certain level of consent that, that can't truly be completely given because of that power differential. And he was messing around with women on the set, apparently, allegedly, you know, actresses. And, um, and I think I've heard some some tell of some some of the writer staff um, that that it's a real problem and it speaks to this sense of you know of entitlement of male entitlement which we see so much in Xander mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I see all of that and it does make me uncomfortable I think that the the you know revelations we've had about Joss Whedon have sort of opened that up and again like you know I've I've said it before and I'll say it again here when your creators when your beloved creators are problematic the idea of boycotting the work is really not necessarily the best way to do it mostly you know because with most creators they take a cut but there's you know there can be dozens to hundreds of people like dozens working on a book in like the case of Orson Scott Card, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And the the people who work on it, the publisher, the editor, the, you know, all of those people, uh, you know, also worked on that book and also get the benefit from the sales of that book. Um, but with a show like this, it's Joss Whedon and like literally hundreds of people, you know, most of whom are getting something on the residuals on the back end. And so if you completely boycott and never give another dime to any Joss Whedon property, then it's not Joss Whedon who suffers from that. It's everybody who worked on it, some of whom were his victims, Mm -hmm. if you want to call them that. Mm -hmm. I don't think they have defined themselves publicly, have come out as victims. um, And people get to choose their own, you know, identity and how they feel about their relationships. So I leave that up to the women with whom he's had these relationships. That's their call to define themselves that way or not. Um, But it is... It is troublesome. And as we go back to Xander, as we go back to this self-insertion fantasy with that extra textual context, which is, you know, always something you have to be wary of is bringing that extra textual stuff in. Because when we're talking about Buffy, we're talking about the text itself. Mm -hmm. And I really want to stay in that place. But, you know, taking a little bit of time to sort of look at this in that broader context, I think has has a space in this discussion. I think so too, um, especially when you're talking about something like power differential, which is what we see. I mean, that is the struggle in this episode. Um, yeah. But it's also, I think, by and large, what we're looking at when we're looking at just the idea of a big bad, something that mm-hmm. is more powerful. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, the... And what that means for the protagonists and what that means for the story moving forward. You know, what do you do when you have this big power differential? Um, right. With a teacher and a student, which is what we're dealing right now with Xander being on the the powerless end of that power differential. And we treat it as gross. Mm-hmm. The way that Miss French is preying on these boys with or without, you know, raping them and forcing them to fertilize their eggs and then cutting off their heads, right? You right. know, I mean, with or without that element, it's still predatory. It's still gross. And we acknowledge that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, within, so within the story. Yeah. And I think that she is appropriately inappropriate, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think that right. we see the we see the boundaries crossing before we get into any sort of real... Um, seduction. I hesitate to even Mm -hmm. call it that because, oh my God, is that scene at her apartment so uncomfortable? Mm -hmm. I'm like, it is horribly holding my breath the whole time. And it's what I love is that for me, it's less uncomfortable once she's a giant bug. Yeah, absolutely. Once she's like, you know, legitimately textually a monster. Yeah. You know, Um, but I think that even without that, we still see her as gross. She's still coded as gross and inappropriate and not okay, Mm -hmm. you know, um, because of that power differential. And I find that interesting considering some of the, you know, some of the things that that are alleged to have happened behind the scenes yeah. on this show. Um, and it does feel like kind of a, a working through of that, that idea of that power differential, the idea that there's there no circumstance in which a student and a teacher can be together without there being a grossness factor, without there being something highly, highly inappropriate about that. And especially like how before that, we have that scene with Dr. Gregory where he's talking to Buffy. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I love about that 
you know, we have all this male gaze, right? We open up with male gaze. It's all about male gaze. When the professor is, or the professor, the teacher is talking to Buffy, he's cleaning his glasses. Yeah. He can't see her, but he knows her and he's, he's complimenting her on her intelligence, on her capability, on being her, you know, her advocate with let's, let's make them eat that permanent record, Mm -hmm. you know? So we have this really nice moment with this, this teacher who is completely appropriate, who is playing exactly where he should be. And in the one thing that we see Buffy celebrated for with Xander, which is really just her beauty, this guy isn't acknowledging that at all. He's taking his glasses off. Mm-hmm. Can't even see her, right? Yep. You know, he is he is talking to her as a person, as a human, as somebody who's capable and strong and smart. Yes. You know, which are the things that Buffy is not celebrated for? Buffy, when she is celebrated, is celebrated for her supernatural abilities. Things that like came to her, but that she didn't go out and, and get that were never, that are kind of essential to who she is, but it sort of landed on her like a piano, mm-hmm. right? In a cartoon, you know? Um, and, but this, like her capability, her intelligence in this mundane space, you know, um, at, of school, I, I like that we celebrate that in her and her intelligence. And I love the way that this guy talks to her. He's fantastic. I love yeah. Dr. Gregory so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the little circular sort of symbolism of, you know, she is the one who finds his glasses on the floor. Yes. She mm-hmm. places them on the desk. And then at the very end, she puts them in the yeah. jacket pocket. Um because she's I mean, it's the first it's the first time that we see loss really um confronted as a loss. Yes. They are mm-hmm. upset in the library after seeing after yeah. finding uh Dr. Gregory's body. And mm-hmm. I found that really interesting too. Um yeah. because that doesn't that doesn't last. I mean, yeah. in the pilot, you know, we have an extreme dead guy in a locker and then it's not that school is, you know, school is not canceled. <laughs> like there's right. just We don't we don't really care. Like I mean, the thing is, let's face it, you know, Buffy as a show is knee deep in dead bodies. Yes. Like, you know, I mean, we're always like the dead bodies, eventually you have to become somewhat desensitized to it. Every now and again there's someone we care about who dies, you mm-hmm. know, and we managed to to be able to care about Dr. Gregory in like 30 seconds, you know, and we made him into somebody that we like and that's a good guy and, you know, um and then he of course gets killed and we have this I mean, Buffy's crying. Like, we don't see Buffy cry over anything other than main characters after a while, you know. Um, But but we see kind of like the importance of um, of getting back at, you know, finding out who did this and how it was done and what the monster was and all that kind of stuff, Mm -hmm. you know, that that beheaded this beloved, you know, um, beloved teacher. Um, And the last time we had, I mean, we felt the loss of Jesse, mostly through Xander. Xander felt the loss of Jesse, you know, Um, but mostly we've just got dead bodies all over the place. And it's sort of how it goes. We put our main cast in danger, but they don't, you know, die, at least not immediately, not in the early Mm -hmm. seasons. Um, And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting how we have to somehow become comfortable with so much death all the time. Yeah. You know, but here we have, you know, Buffy's crying, Giles is shaken up, you know. Yeah, Giles being being shaken by the yeah. the loss of Dr. Gregory. I thought was really very there was something very sweet about that. 
because I feel like Dr. Gregory was a little bit of Giles Light, you know, yeah. somebody mm-hmm. who sees mm-hmm. Buffy, who is supportive of her and believes in her. Um, and then who when cleans his glasses, yeah, <laughs> it's the glasses. Yeah. Um, when uh, when Buffy identifies that that Dr. Gregory was killed. What was like shortly after they saw him for the last mm-hmm. time, um, mm-hmm. because he didn't change his clothes. Giles is impressed. Giles acknowledges, you know, here's this thing that was played for, you know, played as a joke in the pilot mm-hmm. when Buffy identifies a vampire by his, uh, right. his jacket. Mm-hmm. But yeah. clothing and fashion really is part of her superpower. Yeah. yeah. She spots this, she spots the timing on this murder. Because yeah. she's noticing clothing. And I love, Giles, I don't think Giles says anything to her, but he does acknowledge with a kind of, yeah. oh, impressive. And then he doesn't question it. He believes yeah. her. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, which brings us kind of to this thing that you brought up in the notes, which I thought was really interesting. This idea of adult women in the Buffy verse versus adult men. Oh my god! And I thought that yeah. that was a really interesting observation. So you want to talk about yeah. that a little bit? So we have a really problematic relationship with adult women. And by the mm-hmm. way, just take a sip of whatever beverage you've got every time I say problematic, because right. I'm going to say that throughout the <laughs> Put run. Put that it's on still your pretty. bingo card. <laughs> Be careful about what you're drinking. I right. suggest water. Stay hydrated. I care about you. Okay. <laughs> The sh- on the show so far, I know we're just four episodes in, right? But mm-hmm. adult women are kind of the worst. No, they really are. Last week, you were, it was yeah. Amy's mother who mm-hmm. is abusive any way you want to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. This week, it's Miss French who is just predatory, straight yes. up predatory. Mm-hmm. And then we have, and then we have Joyce who is not problematic necessarily, but she's Yet. just in Buffy's way. Be. Oh, trust me, she will be. She's going to be super problematic oh, at points throughout. Same. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like the like Joyce is not terribly well represented. And then you you asked me a question, are there ever any positive depictions of adult women on the show? And then I had to go through and think about it. And I hadn't really thought about it. But as I go through, we've got Joyce, you know, who eventually, but after a number of seasons, becomes an actual character and is okay. Um, but there's a lot of bad stuff coming from Joyce um, in the early seasons. And it's it's a problem. And um, towards the end of season one, and then in season two, we're going to have Jenny Callender, who is the uh, computer mm-hmm. techno pagan teacher, um, who has the relationship with Giles. And she's pretty good, you know, but of course, she dies. And she does become a problem um, at a certain point where she sort of betrays everybody in the group, you know, mm-hmm. um, in season three, we open season three with I mean, this is a secondary character, but an adult woman. Pat, who is Joyce's friend from Dead Man's Party, and she's pretty much an asshole. Um, We have Willow's mom, who is negligent at best and actively destructive at worst. Um, We have Xander's mom and Xander's family we've talked about. Mm -hmm. They're not great. Uh, In season three, again, we have all the mothers from Moo, mothers uh, opposing the occult, something like that. I can't remember why they called it Moo, Um, from season three's gingerbread episode. They are also terrible. 
season four, uh, we have Maggie Walsh, who is dreadful. Uh, we do have Giles's girlfriend, Olivia, who seems okay, but she's not around that much. Mm-hmm. So she's just kind of like this really background character. Season five, we have Glory, you know, who is obviously very, very bad. Right. She is our, our big bad for that season. Um, and season six, like season five and six, we turn into this, this kind of switch on things where um, by season six, technically our main characters are now adult women, you know, Buffy, Anya, Willow, Tara, um, all adult women, mm-hmm. um, and all pretty good. And, and they, you know, exude positive adult womanhood. And we also have Dawn around at that time, um, who is who is the child who is really annoying, you know, in this first couple of seasons there, she gets good in season seven, but it's it's a rough road for Dawn. Um, and then so we have, we have good women, you know, um, but even then, Buffy and Willow in season six are both really messed up. Mm-hmm. And Willow's a big problem in season six, all the way to the end of season six, where she actually becomes our big bad bringing on the apocalypse by the end, right. you know. Um, and then by season seven, again, we have Faith and Buffy and Willow, you know, who are our adult women in this context. Um, and uh, and they are, you know, they're pretty good, you know, and that's fine. But we don't have... A lot of adult women, and I may have missed some in that run that was purely off the top of my head. (laughs) So if anybody out there has anything to add to that conversation, I'd really love to hear it. But honestly, I'm thinking about it. And I I, I think you're right. We do not have many positive depictions of adult women in this show. And what does that say? Yeah, that is fascinating to me. I mean, doesn't Riley show up with a wife at some point? Is that a thing that happens? He does. He does in season six. I usually try to forget that episode. Okay. <laughs> it's bad. Okay. It's bad. It's a, It's one of the worst episodes, and she is truly, truly terrible okay. in this very cardboard perfection kind of way. Um, so, yeah, you know, she's another adult yeah. woman, but also seen as as the enemy in that episode. And, yeah, yeah. so that's, that's – we'll talk about that in detail when we get there. But, I mean, I'm going to be looking – for any positive adult women throughout the, because yeah, I don't think that all. we really get them. No. We don't get many women in general. I mean, you think about most of the big bads are men. Um, you know, we have Drusilla, who is kind of a, a secondary bad guy for season two. Um, you know, we have Harmony mm-hmm. later on, who's a vampire, who's wonderful. I love Harmony. <laughs> I love her, but Harmony obviously is wonderful, bad. But not yeah. One wonderful as a as a character, yes. very fun. But as like as like a a depiction of womanhood, probably not our our you know best foot forward. Um. So yeah, strong adult female womanhood is not really represented. Um. I wonder. Yeah. What does that mean? I wonder if it has something to do with the short lifespan of the Slayer. Mm-hmm. Buffy doesn't have Buffy. Buffy is grappling with this role of the Slayer, of being the Slayer, mm-hmm. wanting to be a normal girl, knowing that she can't really be a normal girl. <laughs> right. Um, mm-hmm. And she doesn't have anybody to look up to. I mean, there are no mm-hmm. elderly Slayers. Right, you know, exactly. No- what she has are the Watchers, which is a primarily, as we're going to discover throughout the run of the season or the series, um, a primarily patriarchal, you know, establishment. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have anywhere 
to look for that kind of guidance. She is out there mm-hmm. pioneering all the time, yeah. having to make her own way um, to figure out her own sort of um, integrated adult womanhood. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's just off the top of my head, but I'm going to be watching for it because... Yeah, I'm going to be looking for it, too, because I mean, honestly, you know, and I didn't do an exhaustive search. I just, you know, went through like my understanding of the series. But if there are positive depictions of adult womanhood, I don't I don't know. I don't think there are a lot in here. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's really interesting. But meanwhile, in this episode, we have some great Mm -hmm. adult men. Sure, we absolutely do. I mean, we've got Dr. Gregory, who we've already talked about. He's fantastic, Mm -hmm. right? We've got Giles. He's happy to play a support role, you know, but he also has this moment, this patriarchal moment where he demands that Buffy obey his orders. And she says, yes, yes, yes. And then completely ignores it. And then when he comes, when she comes back and he confronts her on it, she says, I lied. Get over it. You <laughs> yes. Know? Yes. I lied. I'm a bad person. Like Let's move on. <laughs> right. Exactly. And he's going to, he's going to very quickly get over the idea of bossing her around. He's going to step into this role of, I don't think you should do this. And here's why. But she makes the decisions. Yes. You know, like she is absolutely in charge. And I like that. And he's good with that. Like he doesn't get all worked up about it. He's like, all right, you lied to me. I don't like that. But you know, okay. Yeah. Um, And also we have Angel. Now, Angel is not in here much. He is a very mysterious figure. I think he's in like two scenes. Um, But, you know, we're going to discover that he has been, of course, a grown ass man slash vampire for centuries. So he's got much, much more experience with this than either Giles or Dr. Gregory. Mm -hmm. Um, But he's also like a a, a non-toxic male he's actually i really i like him in this in this episode in particular yeah now how did you feel about angel in this episode because you of course don't know the whole of the buffy verse the way that i do so i'm really interested in your take on angel based on just what you've kind of seen so far based just on on what i've seen so far in this episode in particular he really doesn't make a strong impression on me yeah um he seems Still, the character still seems very wooden to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, see, I know, I know that this is not an issue with the actor. I know that David Boreanaz yeah. is, is capable of doing whatever you give him to do. Yeah. But mm-hmm. his scene, particularly at the end, reads to me like bad acting because he's okay. so, um, there's just not a lot of there there. No, it is very quiet. He's doing this mysterious thing. You know, we've got this mystery man because at this point we don't know yet that he's a vampire. Mm-hmm. So we're keeping everything under the, like, you know, under under this shroud of mystery, yeah. right? Um, and I think that that does mean that he can't, um, he can't do much. Right. You know, and he's not given much at this point. I mean, basically he is in this episode purely to be like, hey, let's remember there's a hot guy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Know. And here, let me oh, yeah. take my jacket off and show you my injury. Oh, yeah. But, you know, I mean, here's the thing. Like, I talked about last time about this idea of the letterman's jacket, the ring, the the bracelet that Xander gives Buffy, this, mm-hmm. this attempt by men to mark and to cover the women with symbols of themselves, right? Yes. You know, with symbols of their possession. 
And, uh, you know, an angel got a pass on the cross because it wasn't about marking her. It was about protecting right. her. And this is about giving her something that she needs. You know, he gives her his jacket and it's uh, it's not about possession. Like, I don't see that as about possession. It is really about she looks cold. He just wants to make sure that she has what she needs, mm-hmm. that she is comfortable, you know. Um, and I actually liked that. Did you did you like the jacket thing or did you read that as kind of cheesy? It felt very much like we need a reason for her to see that his arm is cut up. Yes. yes. It really mm-hmm. didn't. It didn't feel natural to me. And I mean, mm-hmm. And maybe, who knows, maybe I was with Xander a little bit on the, you know, it's a balmy night. Nobody needs to be out there swapping clothing. No. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know, you know, obviously we've got two actors who are very different sizes. So to me, she just yes. looks ridiculous in his jacket. In his jacket. I think they actually gave her a smaller jacket that was just a little too big for her because he is like easily twice her size. I mean, she is a tiny, tiny little thing. And so, you know, if, if that had been his actual jacket that he put on her, I don't, I don't think it was because it looked like it was, it was big on her, but it wasn't, she wasn't swimming the way that she would be. It wasn't a tent. Yeah, so um, so I think that there was a little bit of costuming magic going mm-hmm. on behind the scenes there. You know, Buffy's version of Angel's jacket and then Angel's version of Angel's jacket. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but I, I I liked it. I mean, I, I you know I don't know. Like it, I it it sold for me. I got it. That's and I like Angel. I mean, I really do like Angel. Yeah, and I I do agree with you that it doesn't. It didn't read to me as a possession. Um, no. It wasn't mm-hmm. he wasn't marking her as property. It right. was truly meant as here. <laughs> have this yeah. jet here. It's cold. I don't think possession of Buffy is something that even occurs to Angel at this point. Like that's not even on his radar. And uh, and, you know, there is an age difference there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's true. You know, there's quite an age difference as we're going to discover because he's like 240 at this point. Yeah, that's uh... and she's 16. So that's a big yeah, gap. It's, it's a big gap, and it is it is one of those things that we're going to have to like kind of wade through how that works because one of the big things of course as we're talking about power differentials a a significant age difference especially when the youngest person you know in that pairing is so young yeah 16 young you know um so i think that that as we move into that that romance there are going to be things that that kind of tighten up that that vast, vast power differential there, you know, just with with pure experience in the world. Um, And so I think we somehow managed to get away with it. I'm very much looking forward to having that discussion with you because I kind of give it a pass because I love Buffy and Angel. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm not sure if I should give it a pass. I'm not sure that it's It's not. It's about to get all problematic up in here. It's about to get all problematic up in here. So I think that's interesting. Speaking of problematic, let's go ahead and use that segment. Oh my god. To move into something that you picked up in this episode, all of the phallic symbols. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> so, you know, you can't you can't tell a story about, you know, male gaze and male power and and uh male sexuality without 
throw in a whole lot of phallic symbols into the mix. And it's right there, right from the get-go with Dream Xander throwing a chair leg through the vampire's heart. And I Mm -hmm. love the camera following the impromptu stake as it zooms through the air. Right. Um, (laughs) But we have some kind of problem with the budget on this because we didn't dust a single vampire. We stabbed him in the heart, but we didn't do the effects. Yep. There was no dusting, no dusting effect. I guess the the praying mantis costuming yeah. was about all they could afford for this episode. Yeah, and the and the one eighty head turn, and the one eighty head turn, which was also a terrible effect. Oh nineties, oh nineties oh, CGI. I love you so much. Awful, um, awful. Yeah, but the the you know in Xander's dream sequence, I mean that guitar solo is definitely definitely okay. played and shot in a kind of a pornographic way is that a masturbatory thing is that like when he's you know yeah yeah i just i think okay i'm just i'm just saying like even i saw that yeah and then of course it comes (laughs) back when uh Mm -hmm. miss french invites xander to her house and we Uh cut away for did we jump cut to xander's uh power cord with his right right guitar straight in the air Oh my God! So that is that is very blatantly a masturbatory yes. um, visual. Yes, it is. Wow, that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. But my my favorite, my absolute favorite moment of phallic symbolism. Yes, <laughs> when Miss French proposes that they build um, model egg sex. I love that with her accent, egg sack yes. sounds like egg sex. It's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Um, but when <laughs> she says, who would like to help me do that after school? And all the boys' hands go up. She right. says, good. Mm-hmm. And we cut to the cafeteria. Plop. Hot dog surprise. <laughs> Hot dog surprise. Hot dog all surprise. Right. As many times as I've seen this episode... I never made that connection. And now I will never be able to unsee it. And all all my response in the notes is, ew. You're welcome. I mean, you hit, I feel, and Thank I feel like much. you hit all the major points with that. I mean, ew. <laughs> ew. It is, but oh God, of course, hot dog surprise. That has to be deliberate. All of this has to oh, be deliberate. Is. And yet, and yet my innocent little eyes never saw it. <laughs> Well, you're so pure. <laughs> I am. I'm so innocent. I almost I almost never see the phallic. So no, actually, I do see a lot of them. But, you know, but I, I miss that. Um, and uh, and you're right. It was absolutely so blatant right there. So that was that was pretty gross. Yep. Yep. And then, of course, we have to kill the monster with a machete. Or, yes. And mm-hmm. then uh, Xander, after the after the who's who of Sunnydale High School Virgins, Right. Xander grabs the machete and hacks up the egg sacs in this uh-huh. just I will reclaim the power that has been stolen from me by these women right. who have kidnapped me and um, now outed me as a virgin because yes. mm-hmm. that's the worst possible thing that a person could be. That's a terrible thing. Yeah. Blaine's whole thing about, you know, you'll be facing a lawsuit. Yeah. That is just gross. Who cares? 
I don't being a virgin or not. And it is this thing with boys. Girls are supposed to remain virgins, but boys are supposed to sleep with everybody. And, you know, and for the heterosexual boys, you know, which is, of course, everything in Buffy is highly heteronormative. Mm -hmm. um, So we never even have a question about anybody being gay unless we're going to throw a little gay panic on it usually Mm -hmm. um, until we get to season four. And then we we do a little something more interesting with it, at least for for Willow. Um, But, you know, we have this thing where, you know, they're supposed to be doing all of this conquest and the girls are supposed to be, you know, chaste and pure and virgins themselves. And there's never a question, you know, Buffy and Willow never look at each other and be like, well, I'm not a virgin. Nobody ever says anything. Right. Because they're supposed to be right. right? Because that's what the good girls are. But then in order for the boys in a heteronormative, you know, space to be doing all of this conquesting, some of these girls have to be given it up. Mm hmm. You know, and then those are the slutty girls. And as we deal with Cordelia moving forward throughout the next couple of seasons, we'll see that Cordelia kind of gets gets put into that role as well, though she is much more in charge of her sexuality, which is okay, which is a little bit better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but but, you know, I mean, that in itself is this is this problematic, you know, thing this this boys are supposed to get it and girls are supposed to not give it up um and so for boys not being a virgin is this ultimate tribute to their their manliness and it really is just a a like a tribute to their predatoriness right yeah i, I mean that's what all this it's possession it's predation mm-hmm. you know which is wrong when miss french does it to them but then also because she's going to you know rape them and then eat their heads. So right. I mean, like, yes, obviously that's all wrong too. But I mean, even, you know, and the power differential is a problem, but like when, when the woman is predatory, that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But men being predatory, especially young boys, that's okay. Boys will be boys. Right. And really, you know, for, for, you know, Miss French, I think bugs will be bugs. I think she gets a pass. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and I love the, the, um, the sort of reverent tone with which she talks about bugs. And of course, this is supposed yes. to clue us into the fact that maybe not as she is. Yeah, maybe yes. something's going on with her. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with her her cricket sandwiches. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, when she talks about bugs and about, you know, the female being aggressive, it's with this kind of awe and wonder and isn't this magnificent mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that, yeah, I think she, well, here we go again with problematic. I mean, the, <laughs> so it is what it is, folks. Yeah. Um, You know, the, the woman who is, I mean, yes, she's a monster. I'm not going to defend Miss French. She's a monster and all of that is bad. Yes, she's like, a monster. I mean, we're not saying. All of that is bad. Yes. I am not. And su- even if she wasn't a monster, a woman her age and her position as a teacher preying on young boys, that's not okay. Not okay. Right. And the the female being aggressive, the woman going after what she wants, the woman who has sexual desire and expresses it has to be, must be the villain. Must be a bad she guy. She must yep. be the bad guy. We would not mm-hmm. make a villain, a female villain who was pure and chaste. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, again, not not defending her. She's a monster. She is a monster and she is legitimately a monster. And, you know, but I think that 
when you look at the kind of the subtext of it, you know, like a woman who is sexual and in charge of her sexuality is associated with badness, with monstrosity, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, there are a lot of reasons why everything she's doing is bad. But again, we're not saying bugs will be bugs, right? right? We're not we're not defending her with that. When I did that earlier, I was being ironic, you know, but boys will be boys, yeah. right? You know, so boys get the pass. Nobody else gets the pass. Mm-hmm. So yeah, f- that I find female you know, and female be... ugliness has to be punished always. Yes. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we've got another example. We opened with in the pilot with female ugliness with Darla doing her vamp face yes. and here we are again with a a woman who is aggressive and a literal monster. Um, yeah. yeah. And any unattractive women that we have in Buffy are all looked down on. Mm-hmm. It is like if they are not attractive, they instantly like, you know, we're going to have lunch ladies later on. We're going to have a nurse in an episode in season two, one of the worst episodes in all of Buffy. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you. Um, but any women who are um, who are unattractive, who are post sexual, mm-hmm. you know, um, they I mean, look at Joyce. Joyce is an adult woman, uh, stunningly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so it really does kind of kind of reinforce this idea that beauty is a woman's most important trait. And of course, that's something that comes from not Buffy you right. know, specifically, but from Hollywood, you know, in general all the time. Yep. So that's a thing that that is inherited, you know, from a broader societal context. Oh, yeah. You know, that's not I'm not going to throw that at Joss Whedon's feet. You know, <laughs> I mean, that is that is something we see quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I find it I found it a little problematic, you know, shifting topics here um, the, that we have this. I mean, problematic from a from a purely narrative structural point of view, uh, which is, of course, my particular form of nerdery yes. um, in that we have two monsters. Right. We have the, the guy with the fork hand. Oh, right. Yeah. Who has no relation to anything, whose only role is to slice Angel's arm and give us concern for him and his well-being. He's this guy is extremely dangerous. He's so, you know, tough. And, you know, he and Buffy, you know, um, have have a little bit of conflict in the park, you know, and then he sees Miss French and he's afraid of Miss French. Mm -hmm. Right. So his role is to, you know, through that transitive power of horror. Right. When the horrible thing is afraid of something, that horrible thing must be even more horrible right um so that's his entire role and then we use him as like a drug sniff dog to find miss french you know um to find her house and then of course buffy immediately stakes him with the ultimate symbol of mundanity the white picket fence um so that was kind of interesting if not it's fully like kind of thought through and the only thing that the other purpose that he serves is to connect us back to the master right because Giles tells this story about a vampire who displeased the master and the master cut off his hand and then the guy replaced it with a big claw the big metal claw becoming you know the the Freddy Krueger of vampires right you know so we have that whole thing but structurally narratively as as a villain he doesn't really serve a purpose and i feel like he 
he as a monster in this, he gives us this, you know, this idea of, oh, it can't be Miss French because obviously the monster is this four-handed guy. So they give us this very, very moderate surprise twist because we know something's wrong with Miss French from the moment she steps onto the scene, something wrong with that girl, yeah. you know? Um, so I don't know. Like, I, I really felt like the, the Freddy Krueger vampire kind of pulled away from what the rest of the episode is doing with Miss French um, and that we didn't need it aside from, you know, being something that connects us back to the the master so that we don't forget what's going on in the big overarching story here. How did you feel about that? Um, I felt exactly the same way. He's more of a prop Mm -hmm. than anything else. Um, I did. I thought it was interesting that we've got a central narrative conflict that is I'm not a vampire for the mm-hmm. second week in a row. So I feel like they sort of, okay, let's throw some vampires in there because uh, this is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And last week, you know, last week we didn't have vampires at all. Uh, right. We didn't have mm-hmm. the bronze. Mm-hmm. We didn't have Angel. Right. Like, let's kind of, okay, let's bring this all back into the vampire slaying space. Although yeah. I was interested to hear Giles call it hunting yeah. and not patrolling. Right. I don't think that they developed their terminology that much at this point. You know, at this point, he does call it hunting. And hunting is an aggressive act and patrolling is a protective act. Exactly. Right. I mean, even in the words themselves. That really made me sit up and take notice. I went, what? what?" (laughs) Yeah. No, it's interesting because it does become patrolling. Mm Uh, not too far in the future i think very soon it becomes patrolling but right now in these early stages the word he used is hunting yeah you know and that's that's interesting because buffy is buffy in general the philosophy of buffy is that she is about protection yeah right we will see later on in the series that if somebody becomes no longer a danger you know if if somebody who has killed and done terrible things uh ceases to be a threat for some reason they're you know they're defanged for whatever reason mm-hmm. be that you know metaphorically or literally in some cases um so if they can't do any more harm buffy lets them go right she doesn't kill them she's never it's never about vengeance it's never about about you know punishment for things done it is it is purely a prophylactic act it's about preventing more bad things from happening and that's where buffy puts her energy and her attention it is protection Mm -hmm. it's not actively going out hunting down these things before they can do anything wrong they do something wrong if they're still doing it if they're trying to kill people then they get you know they get killed they get dusted but um but if they for some reason can't hurt people anymore then they're fine. They get a pass and they walk. Yeah. Yeah. But our, our claw handed vampire guy is really yeah. just there to be a prop. Yeah. He's there to be He's a vampire prop specifically. He's there as a vampire prop. He keeps us connected to the master. But I mean, he pulls away from the the central narrative conflict mm-hmm. of this particular, you know, episode. And, um, and so I feel like there's... It's not particularly well structured. It feels kind of slapdash, you know, as far as the story structure in this episode goes. Yeah. So it's not my favorite episode in a lot of ways. <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. I don't think it's a very strong, a strong episode of Buffy. But, you know, it's it's first season and the first season does tend to be kind of a little bit difficult. Yeah. All right. So do we have um, a moment of girl power? What's your moment of girl power in this episode? <gasps> 
I really got nothing. I mean, does mm-hmm. hot dog surprise count? I don't know. Is girl power? I don't think so. <laughs> um, I don't think so. My, I guess my, the closest thing that I got to anything that was even sort of a revolutionary feminist moment of the week was yes. Buffy and Willow refusing to help bail Xander out of his bumbling idiocy when he's talking to oh, Miss sure. French. He looks to them for help and they just shrug. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that like here we have, you know, um, a female antagonist, which is something that we haven't had as of yet and will not have a lot. Honestly, it's usually men, mm-hmm. usually men in that position of power. Um, so we have a, a female antagonist who is using her sexual power, you know, to predate on these boys, you know. So, I mean, there's something there in female power. And then of course, Buffy is the, the person who is able to fight back against this woman. Nobody else can, you know, um, Giles is support for that. Willow's a support for that. Buffy is the one with the power. So Buffy, I think basically every episode is going to have a certain amount of girl power from like the Buffy perspective. But the fact that the bad guy is actually a woman, Mm -hmm. you know, the antagonist is actually a woman, I think speaks a little bit to to that sense of, hey, women can be bad guys, too. Mm -hmm. Women can be anything, (laughs) you know, that kind of thing. Well, and our antagonist is a is a monster female specifically and not I mean, Mm -hmm. in which we get a a female antagonist who is, for all intents and purposes, human. Yes. Um, but this is a this is a monster female, and mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. interesting and noteworthy. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I I mean, I feel like there's not a lot unless mm-hmm. it's unless it's the relationship between Buffy and Willow. Yeah, yeah. No, the relationship between Buffy and Willow, I think, is really great. And they are both of them really strong in this episode. And Willow, of course, is kicking ass. She's on the computer. She's getting information. She is right in it. You know, she's the one who figures out that, of course, she knows Xander's a virgin, you know. And uh, Willow hacking into the, what is it? The the city's computer. Yes. And- Getting the pictures of the autopsy, which they spared us yes. again. So thank you for that. Yes. But, uh, and then Giles questioning whether or not what she's doing is legal. Oh, no, I love that moment, right? <laughs> Wasn't here, didn't see it, couldn't, couldn't have stopped stop you. you. <laughs> yep. Well, and there's, Which there's really a little nice. bit, there's a little bit of a, yeah. of a uh, nod to feminism. I mean, mm-hmm. in that Giles is acknowledging their capability there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. He's, he is, you know, what, the, what they're doing is maybe questionable, but He's not going to interfere because right, right, mm-hmm. they're doing their thing. All right. So, Noelle, what's your favorite part of Teacher's Pet? My favorite part of Teacher's Pet is Allison Hannigan's right eyebrow. <laughs> I want to. Ign- what is her right eyebrow doing? There is the, the moment when Xander spots Miss French for the first time, goes completely uh-huh. preverbal. Willow yes. and Buffy both look over and that Willow's eyebrow does this wonderful scrutinizing <laughs> what in the name like the, she is so expressive. I, Allison Hannigan is amazing. Allison Hannigan's face is yes. worth 
everything for the show for me. Right. She's so mm-hmm. expressive and so wonderful. But that eyebrow raise, she is mm-hmm. both sizing up this woman and also completely baffled as to why Xander is having trouble. Yeah. But right. then, uh, well, I think she knows why he's having trouble. I think that she, she's. It's, I think she's a bit skeptical of Xander in general at that moment. It's a wonderful. It's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful acting choice, and I just I love that eyebrow raise so much. She's brilliant. She really is. I love her. I love, she's fantastic. I love everything she does, yeah. and she is probably the only thing that could make me love Xander even a little bit. Exactly. I know. The transitive power of Willow. Willow. That'll get you to love Xander. Willow is magic, y'all. All right, Lonnie, what was your favorite part of Teacher's Pet? I have to say my favorite part was Angel. <laughs> I like Angel. I know. I like he's, you he's... liking Angel. I do. Like, I mean, and the thing is, like, you know, now, of course, I'm doing uh, Still Dead, which is the podcast about the Angel spinoff series. um, And it's so much fun. And the thing is, like, I'm, you know, generally, everybody knows a Spike girl. I like the Spike relationship with Buffy. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's um, better and stronger for a lot of different reasons. But David Boreanaz, I love him. Angel and Buffy as star-crossed lovers. He's a vampire. She's a vampire slayer. Like, that kills me every time. And the, and some of the most powerful moments in all of Buffy happened during that relationship in season two. Um, so, like, I love, I love Angel. I like the way that he's not possessive with her. I like the way that he's kind of the anti-Xander. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't play this bullshit. And this is a guy who has lived through, like, the height of patriarchy. Like, he sees past it. He doesn't treat her that way. And even in just a couple of scenes here, you know, I like the way he is with her. You know, I mean, and it's our first sense of Angel as Angel, you know, Angel being the character he will become. the, The person that he was in the first two episodes don't count. You know, we're getting a do over. <laughs> we get a do over Angel, Angel right now. And I like I like seeing him. I really do. And I, I like him a great deal. Yeah. So Angel's Angel's my favorite part of, of an episode that doesn't have a lot of good stuff going for it. Yeah, no <laughs> kidding. That's it for today. To join in the discussion on Twitter, follow Lonnie at Lonnie Diane Rich and me at Noella Loud and use the hashtag still pretty. You can also visit the Chipperish forums. Go to chipperish.com, click on forum, and join in the fun there. Yeah, absolutely. Or you can keep Chipperish Media going to the tune of a dollar a month or more and gain access to the live chat in Discord where you can hang out with me and Noelle and all the Chipperish patrons who are some of the smartest people around. So visit patreon.com slash chipperish to find out more. You can also show your support for Still Pretty by going to Apple Podcasts and giving us a review. That's one of the most effective ways to show support for any of your favorite podcasts. Or you can use your social media platform of choice to tell your friends. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Yes, it is. And we will be back next time with Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, the fifth episode of season one. Until then, wasn't here, didn't see it, couldn't have stopped you.